Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teals of Continuing Church of God. And I want to talk about uh, the Ten Commandments, and I want to talk about the beast. Now, billions of people have heard of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and many claim to keep them, but very few really do. Uh, many religious leaders either claim that they're done away, or they don't really need to be kept as they're intended. Are they relevant for the 21st century? Well, I want to start off with going to the book of Isaiah. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read Isaiah uh, 2, uh, verse 3. This will be from the uh, New King James Version of the Bible. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. Now, the Greco-Roman Protestants know this is there. Okay? They're not sure what it means. They think they know what it means, but they don't really. Uh, as far as uh, I can tell, as far as what they actually teach and what they really practice. Listen, I'm going to now go to Micah chapter 4, verse 2. Again, you don't have to go there. But we read the same thing. Many nations shall come and say, so says they shall come, so this is a prophecy. Come, let's go up the mountain of the Lord, the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. Well, he's going to have people teach, and hopefully will include us. Now, growing up in a Roman Catholic uh, household, I was aware of the Ten Commandments. Uh, in uh, catechism classes that I had to go to on Saturdays, I remember memorizing their version of the Ten Commandments of what they claim to believe. And I asked about a couple of commandments which I did not understand when I was, I don't know, seven or eight. And they didn't, they didn't give me an answer to what a couple of them meant. I asked, for example, what's adultery? And they said, that's got something to do with adults. <laughs> okay. But finally I learned a bit more about what the commandments were about. Now, people do realize that the Ten Commandments were written on stone in Mount Sinai and given to Moses. But few seem to understand that the Ten Commandments were around from the very beginning. Uh, one of the Protestant arguments for those Protestants who are opposed to the Ten Commandments is that they didn't start until the children of Israel, therefore they're irrelevant, it's only part of the, the Old Covenant and we don't need to pay attention to them. And some think they're just a burden, a bunch of harsh rules, and we don't need to do them. Now in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, you don't have to go there, you know it says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And when God made the universe, they functioned according to various laws that God created. And then God made various forms of life, which also functioned according to various laws that he made for his creation. Now we know that God made Adam, and he breathed uh, life into Adam in Genesis 2 verse 7. But one, one, and one way, by the way, that human beings uh, differ from animals is that there's a spirit of man in human beings because it says in Job 32, verse 8, the breath of the Almighty is what gives humans understanding. And this is something that animals do not have. Now there's laws for humans that God decreed so we can live better. And it says, for example, you'd have to go there, but Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 through 20, these are for our good. But a lot of people act, oh, they're not really for our good. Now, in 1 John 4, in a couple different places, the Bible teaches that God is love. 
And Jesus, in places such as Matthew uh, 22, verses 37 to 40, say God's laws are based on love. Now, the Ten Commandments are actually first known to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Now, how do we know that? Because it says in Romans 5, verse 12, through one man, that being Adam, sin entered the world. And that man was Adam. So what's sin? You're familiar with First uh, John 3, 4, most, most of you and probably most of the audience. I'll read from the old King James. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And it says in Romans 5.14 that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, in Romans 5.13, we read, sin is not imputed where there is no law. But sin was imputed to Adam. So obviously there was law then. Because death has reigned from Adam to Moses, as it says. And there must have been some laws. And the reality is, God's Ten Commandment laws were there from the beginning. And it's, a trans, it's a sin to transgress them between the time of Adam and Moses. And they already existed. Now, we have a booklet. It's more of a book. I should just call this a book. We have a book called uh, the, Ten, the Ten Commandments, called The Ten Commandments, The Decalogue, Christianity, and the Beast. And this book and any other I might hold up is available online for free at www.ccog.org. And in this particular book, because I'm not going to go through all these scriptures here, these particular ones today, I have listed places prior to Mount Sinai that each of the Ten Commandments are mentioned. So don't fall for clever-sounding arguments from people who have a doctor before or after their name. And I get to say that since I do have such things. Uh, God, things have to be based on the Word of God and not just uh, clever arguments. Now, I want to go to Ezekiel 28. I'm going to read verse uh, 13 from the New King James, and then verses 14 to 15 from a Roman Catholic translation. We read, this has to do with uh, uh, Satan. You were, in e you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, covering the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You, a cherub, stretched out and protecting, and I set you on the holy mountain of God, and you walked in the midst of the stones of the fire. You were perfect in the day, in your ways, in the day of creation, of your creation, until iniquity was found in you. Now, this cherub, this iniquity, has to do with uh, Satan, the devil. And Satan sinned before Adam and Eve were created. So we see iniquity actually existed way before Mount Sinai and before the flood. As it says in Proverbs 5.22, wicked man is caught in the cords of his sin. And so we saw that sin and the Ten Commandments existed. Now how do we know that there were Ten Commandments? Well, actually, in Exodus 34, verse 28, the term is actually ten words. Okay? There's other places that is called, they're called commandments. But in uh, Exodus 34, 20, it's called ten words. You also see that in Deuteronomy 4, 13, and Deuteronomy 10, 4 through uh, uh, 
It's just through 10.4, I guess. That's how come we know there's 10. And that's where we get the word Decalogue, by the way. Decalogue, which as I mentioned, one of the names on this book cover, means 10 words. So literally, it's called uh, 10 words. And I say they're called commandments in other parts of the Bible. You see the term commandments, for example, in Exodus 20, verse 6, is where the Ten Commandments are actually listed. And so again, we know that there's 10. Now, early church history shows that all real, as well as pretty much almost all professing early Christians, believe that they need to keep Ten Commandments. Now, some Protestants have pointed to a council in uh, Acts 15 as so-called proof that Gentiles didn't have to keep the Ten Commandments. The reality is, if you look at church history, there's no evidence that early Christians didn't think they were supposed to keep the Ten Commandments. Even the ones who ended up apostatizing, most of the Greco-Roman types, they still said you were supposed to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, they changed them, but they still thought you were supposed to keep them. But... Uh, that, that's, that's the reality. Now this is confirmed by early Church of God leaders and eventually, as I keep going through all these names to become a little more familiar with most of you, uh, one such as Polycarp of Smyrna, another one would be uh, uh, Melito of Sardis, and another one is uh, Theophilus of Antioch. They all taught that Christians were supposed to keep the Ten Commandments. It was only apostates who had some connection to Simon Magus, the guy warned about in Acts chapter 8, like a guy by the name of uh, Marcion of Pontus, who taught the Ten Commandments was done away. They were, they were gone. Yet he was denounced by Polycarp of Smyrna. And for those of you who are not familiar with who Polycarp was, he was appointed by the apostles. Okay, so a guy appointed by the apostles denounced this one guy who rose up and said, don't keep the Ten Commandments. And some Protestants still say he was the original Protestant. And he, and he someone to somewhat follow. But let me assure you, if you're a Protestant, and you read what Marcion wrote, or what's reported that Marcion wrote, he didn't believe in God the way you understand it, didn't believe in the Bible the way you understand it, he believed in lots of stuff, but he was the first one to basically do away with the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments. And sadly, people followed his example, even though they don't realize he was probably the initiator, other than probably Simon Magus. What I always find interesting is every now and then somebody will write me, to quote some Protestant scholar from the 1800s or 1900s, or even maybe in this century, and what they think the Greek means. Well, this Greek word means this. Uh-huh, I say. Now, I've studied, I've studied Greek. I've studied Koine Greek, ancient Greek. And uh, I am not a Greek scholar, as I tell people. I'm a scholar who has studied Greek. And it doesn't matter who's a Greek scholar is better. We can always find different ones. The reality is, the people whose native language was Koine Greek all felt they had to keep Ten Commandments. So, again, if you hear any clever arguments about the scripture says this, and this is what it means, you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments, either because of mistranslation into English or misunderstanding of the Greek, early Christians, those who followed the apostles and Jesus, all kept the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments show love. So let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. 
But there are various ones out there saying they're a big burden. And the one that they hate, of course, the most is the Sabbath. The one that shows us uh, in symbolism that this world will end and the millennial reign will, will come to this earth. Now, if, let's go to 2 John. I'm going to read verse 6. You're pretty close to it. Going to first John here. Second John, it's only one chapter, verse six. This is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that you've heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. Now the commandments uh, show love and are not a burden for real Christians, as it says in Psalm one twelve verse one. God's people should. Delight greatly in his commandments. Not, oh no, I have to keep the Sabbath. Oh, this is, this is terrible. Well, I'm not supposed to covet. In modern society, they don't understand that one at all. <laughs> Etc. Now, I'm going to go to the book of James, read a couple of, of verses of James' second chapter. In verse 8, James writes. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Now verse 12. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said that the Ten Commandments were related to those. We're supposed to keep God's commandments. Now, are we supposed to be focused completely on the physical? Of course not. But most of the world act like they're supposed to. Of course, there's different religious traditions and rituals and whatever, and many pray. Uh, but when it comes down to it, God is not what's really important to, to them. Yet for Christians, that's not supposed to be the case. Let's go to Matthew 6, starting verse 31. And I'll read a couple of things that uh, Jesus said. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Hey, God is eternal. <laughs> but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, do you put God first? Decades ago, I remember uh, somebody telling me that God should not get in the way of my career. He claimed to be a Christian of some type, but he obviously didn't believe in uh, seeking the kingdom of God first. And I didn't follow his particular advice. I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 20. And I'll read the first commandment from the book of Exodus, starting in verse 2. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, because of this reference to the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt, some have concluded... But that was only for the children of Israel. However, that overlooks the fact that various other verses of this command were in place before there were the children of Israel. It also overlooks the fact 
that, for example, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation 11, verse 8, uh, talks about spiritual Egypt, which is what we've been brought out of. We almost come out of spiritual Egypt in the traditions of this world. I mentioned that uh, these commandments were uh, mentioned before Mount Sinai. So let's just, just read, I'm going to read a couple things from the book of Genesis. Genesis 15, verse 7. God's speaking here. He says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur, out of the Chaldeans. So we see bring out of, uh, this is for uh, Abram. He was brought out of some place to go somewhere else. Then in, if you're in Genesis 15, you can go to Genesis 17, verse 1. It says, I'm the Almighty God. Walk before me and be uh, blameless. And over in Genesis 26, verse 5, a couple pages over, said, Abraham, who originally was called Abram, obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. How could he do that if they didn't exist? And this uh, same Hebrew word translated as commandment, which is, uh, I'll really mess this one up, Mitzvotei, this is also the same word mentioned in Exodus 20, verse 6, when the Ten Commandments are actually listed. So, not only did Abraham obey, he knew what God expected. And that was, again, centuries before Mount Sinai. And Christians are told to be obedient. You don't have to go there. We see that in 1 Peter 1, 13-14. Now, is obedience necessary for salvation? A lot of people want to hem and haw on this one. Um, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 5. Now, salvation is a free gift of God. You can read that in uh, Romans 6.23. You can't earn it. You won't be, uh, but you will not be granted eternal life if you will not obey Jesus. Hebrews 5, starting verse 8, says, Though he was a son, this again, reference to Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And we all have to learn obedience to the things we suffer, and sometimes some of us think we're suffering way more than anybody else. And perhaps certain times that's true. And having been perfected, he, that's Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Not all who know there was a Jesus. You can prove there's a Jesus. It's not that difficult to prove there was a Jesus. And to accept that he came. A little different as far as people who would be willing to obey him. And this is cute. I'm going to read something, starting in verse 29. This is embarrassing because I don't know what chapter this is, from what book. Okay, but this is from the Bible. Oh, okay, this must be Acts 5.29. I'm sorry, now that I'm reading it, <laughs> I know where it's from. Okay, Acts uh, 5.29. It says, But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We are obligated to obey God rather than men. So we see there's an obligation. Peter says we have to obey God. Not that we've heard of him once and we, we knew Jesus, so we don't have to obey anything. I mean, come on. We saw Jesus. Obviously, that's enough. Verse 30. The God of our fathers said, Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Him has God exalted, this is from the AFB, by the way, by his right hand to be a prince and savior, 
to give repentance and remission of sins to Israel. And we are as witnesses of these things, as is also the Holy Spirit, which God has given to those who obey Him. Now the coming beast is going to try to insist people obey Him instead of God. Okay? But God's the one we're supposed to obey. Just read this here. One of the definitions of God is actually who do you obey, what what do you obey? Whoever you obey is going to be your God. Now, for some people, it's possessions. Some people, perhaps even things like their automobiles. Maybe it's an idol. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a family. But we're supposed to obey God. Now I want to read uh, Romans 6, verse 16. You don't have to go there, but it uh, confirms what I just said. Apostle Paul wrote Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether it's of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Now, Adam and Eve had another God in place of the true God. They didn't even, even had talked to the true God. They, so they violated the first commandment. Eve heeded the voice of the serpent, and Adam heeded Eve's example. Well, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked about that. Matthew 22. Starting in verse uh, uh, 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is a great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Now, many people say that they love God, but God isn't really that real to them. They put other priorities above obeying God. I quote this a lot. Yes, I'm going to Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Most people, however, will not do that. Most are wise in their own eyes and they tend to trust themselves. The Bible warns, Proverbs 3, verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Those who are wise in their own eyes and not properly trusting God are violating the first commandment. Now, as Christians, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 10, we're supposed to pray that God's will will be done. And Jesus' attitude in Luke twenty two forty two was, not of my will, but yours be done. Now, I want to go back to the book of James, this time James chapter 4. Read two verses, starting verse 7. James 4, starting verse 7. Therefore, submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. The world would be a much better place if people would heed the first commandment. And as Christians, when we're tempted, or if something doesn't seem right, remember, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Now why should we love God? If you're in James, go back to James chapter 1, starting verse 17. James 1, starting verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now every good gift is from God. And we know, as it says in Romans 8.29, that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. And God has a plan to glorify us as he glorified Jesus. And Jesus mentioned that in John 17, verse 22. God plans to put the whole universe in subjection to his resurrected children. You can read that in Hebrews chapter 2. Now it says in 1 John 4.19, you don't have to go there, we love him because he first loved us. In Romans 5, I'm going to go to uh, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now I want to talk about one part of this for just a moment. I have somebody who was a former minister in the old Worldwide Church of God, who's now basically an atheist. Like, well, Jesus didn't do much. You know, he just you know got beat beat one night and that was it. And so, so what? Not that big of a deal. The reality is, people do not really grasp what Jesus gave up. Jesus had everything. Gave up everything to be made human. He was not fully God on the earth. That's a Trinitarian uh, lie. Uh, I've, we recently did a sermon on the Godhead. If you, uh, it's at the Continuing COG channel. If you watch that, uh, you'll see why that's not possible. He was fully God. He gave it all up. Now imagine there are only there are two beings: the Father and the Son. Jesus gave up being divine. Father didn't have to have any competition. Okay? And Jesus went through it, didn't have to do it, and he did it because he loves us. Now, yes, we do have problems. And if you're in Romans 5, now we're going to go to Romans 8, 28. Several of these verses used to be memory verses from me, but when I do these uh, messages uh, here, I like to make sure I don't miss the words too much, even though half of my, these are memory verses for me. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. doesn't always seem like that, but that's what the Bible teaches us. And I also like to quote Philippians 1, 6 a lot. You don't have to go there. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When is the day of Jesus Christ? When He comes and we're resurrected. He's not going to give up on you. God made us. All good gifts come from Him. He sends His Son, Jesus, to die for us. If we truly love God, all things work out for our good, and God will be faithful the day of Jesus to glorify us, and we've got a lot to love God for. Now, humans apart from God are truly carnally minded. We read that in Romans 8, starting in verse 5. I'm going to read a few verses there. So for those who live according to the flesh, Romans 5, verse 8, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Yet, carnally minded people think they can please God through veneration of idols and icons. Carnal mind wants something to help it worship God. Something physical to remind them of the invisible God. And this type of item is forbidden by the second commandment. I'm going to go read that from Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 4. Second commandment in the book of Exodus states, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that's in the earth beneath, or that's waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word commandment that's mentioned within the Ten Commandments. This is one of them. Now, Jesus, we're going to go to John chapter 4, made a comment that a lot of people don't seem to fully grasp to this day. John 4, starting verse 22. Talking to the Samaritans, they were people who mixed uh, paganism in with Judaism. Jesus said to them, You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. But I've had people say, you don't have to worship in truth. I've told this story before. I remember one time uh, I was uh, attending the uh, Salem Bible Church and we were reading, singing some song about heaven. And I was 16, I think, at the time. So I went up to the pastor afterwards and said, um, I thought, doesn't the Bible teach that New Jerusalem comes down from heaven and we're going to be on the earth? Yeah. <laughs> Well, why are we singing about going to heaven? Oh, because people like that song. That's what I was told. That was my last time attending there. Okay? But that's what I was told. And uh, that's around the time I started to realize uh, that uh, by this time that Protestantism didn't really believe in Sola Scriptura. And you've got people out there now that say all ways lead to, to God, uh, whether it's through Buddha or uh, Muhammad, or uh, Roman Catholicism, or... And actually, even uh, the Pope made a comment that uh, atheists can be saved without believing. Anyway, people accept idols and icons and various traditions as being superior to the Word of God. Um, they're comfortable with it. You've got places in uh, the world that you just, instead of praying, well, you can pray, but spin this wheel, it does all the prayer for you. Of course, the clever thing is to put a little bit of a fan on it so it's always spinning. I'm sure that... that really <laughs> the God of this world, Satan, the God of this world probably appreciates that, but the real God, like, uh, I can see through that. I think pretty sure God can see through all that. Now, it says in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5-7 that Christians are supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. Yet the pagans of old, like the pagans of old, many are, they like really colorful images, really fancy buildings and whatever. And they stubbornly cling to idolatry. 
And the uh, New Testament actually expands the second commandment by explaining it also includes covetousness and that God wants to be worshipped in truth. And an icon isn't truth, uh, no matter what. We're not supposed to bow down before them. And this thing about icons, we're not talking about you can't click on things that are on cell phones and computers and stuff. That's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> All right. Now, do words matter? We're talking about the third commandment here. Well, certainly. In uh, Matthew 12, starting in verse 36, and yes, I do intend to go through the Ten Commandments, uh, Jesus said, but I say to you that for every idle word that men may speak, they shall give an account in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, by your words you will be condemned. So what you say matters. Now the United States has long been a world leader in making uh, motion pictures. Yet, because some believe that having a G rating, a general audience rating, could harm their marketing efforts, they tend to use vulgar language in, in movies. And such things should not be done, 1 Timothy 6, 9. And I'm going to read what Paul wrote in Colossians 3, starting in verse 8. But now you yourselves, but, I'm sorry, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Okay, so we see this talked about in the uh, New Testament. We see that blasphemy is uh, uh, prohibited. That's speaking improperly about God. So it's filthy language, which could also include speaking against God. In Ephesians 4.29, you don't have to go there, but it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And, by the way, for those of you who write on the internet, or text, or whatever you do, or you send emails, uh, that, this includes this too. Okay, it doesn't include, just, doesn't mean just speaking out loud, but if you're telling somebody something in writing, that would include that as well. I'm going to read the third commandment from Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We've got to be careful about using God's name. Many claim God has done this, that, or the other thing for them when he has not. We had to recently deal with that with one of our uh, people in one of the other countries. Uh, people sometimes, when they make bad choices, they believe it on the will of God, uh, as opposed to their bad choices. I consider that a violation of the second, of this, uh, third, third commandment here. In the uh, Old King James, in uh, Psalm 111, verse 9, it says, Holy and reverend is God's name, is his name. And because of that, we do not use the term reverend for uh, ministers. And also, as Jesus said, Matthew 23, 9, don't call anyone on the earth your father, who is your father who is in heaven. So we don't refer to religious leaders as fathers. Uh, basically, it's mostly a title for our Father in Heaven. We will sometimes use terms like apostolic fathers, not because we consider them a true father-father, but because uh, it's commonly understood. We're talking about writings from people who around the second century who had some possible connection to the apostles. And I think that people take God's name in vain by claiming to be Christian when they're not. And if you... Say you're a Christian, you're not living as one. Uh, I think you're taking God's name in vain. 
God's name is to be hallowed, and we're not hallowing His name. We don't live the way God wants us to live. And that doesn't mean we don't stumble. Okay, we all fall. None of us are perfect. I should mention that it, uh, Jesus talked about blasphemy about the, against the Holy Spirit, and this basically re involves uh, turning against uh, the truth and God's ways. Uh, it's not inadvertent cursing. It's not like you curse the Father uh, or the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, uh, it's the unpardonable sin. Uh, people make all kinds of mistakes. But as a Christian, once you have God's Spirit, you're not supposed to turn aside from it. Now, the fourth commandment. Look, uh, we're off, our lives are often busy. Uh, most of us need to be educated, at least informally, to make a living, take care of our family, etc. There's a lot of distractions uh, for our time. You know, do we still need rest in this age? Well, Genesis 2, starting verse 1, we read that after God created the heavens and the earth, and they were finished, on the seventh day God ended the work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works which he had done. So again, we see this in Genesis chapter 2, which is way before Mount Sinai. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his works which God created and made. Now do we still need it today? Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, I'm going to go to verse 27, The Sabbath was made only for the children of Israel from the time from Mount Sinai to when I came, and therefore it's done away. No, he didn't actually say that part. He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, actually, it's kind of interesting. Jehovah's Witness actually claimed that God made the Sabbath for himself in Genesis 2. And then he gave it to the Jews 2,500 years later. So they don't keep the Sabbath. If, you actually, if actually one of them comes to your door and you actually do talk to them, they tell you they keep every day as a Sabbath. And then I, I challenge them on that. They usually don't like to talk to me too much. Uh, anyway, as far as the fourth commandment goes... Um, we're going to Exodus 20, verse 8. Um, before we get there, in the English language, the seventh day of the week is called Saturday, uh, but most who profess Christianity uh, don't believe they keep it at all, should keep it, or they keep it on, uh, on Sunday, even though the Bible doesn't tell them to do that. And I asked the Jehovah's Witnesses, if every day is the Sabbath, then how come you guys uh, meet on Sunday? <laughs> well, we meet every day. So yeah, but you always meet on Sunday. Yeah, well... Anyway, Exodus 20, starting verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, the Sabbath of the Lord your God, in it you shall do no work. So we see it's different. So every day is not the Sabbath. Okay? You've got six days you're supposed to do your work, here's the rest. You nor, not you nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, strangers within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the Sabbath day seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. People need to, should work when they need to and they need to rest on the Sabbath. I tend to consider the Sabbath as a paid vacation. It's paid because we're working throughout the week and since it's the command of God, I believe we can be confident that God will provide and take care of us if we take one day a week off. Yes, you could lose your job. So I've had various job issues 
uh, th that I've uh, encountered, including when I was in the military facing uh, jail once or twice uh, because I wouldn't uh, violate uh, the Sabbath and, uh, and a Day of Atonement. Anyway, having said that, one of the arguments that uh, some Protestants have is, is that supposedly this commandment's not mentioned in the New Testament. Um, I, in this book that I held up before, I've got five or six translations of uh, Hebrews chapter 4. I'll just read one of them from the NIV, starting in verse 3 of Hebrews 4. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, and this is from the NIV, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his works. But by the way, somewhere, because they didn't call it Genesis, and they didn't call it chapter 2, verses 1. They didn't have those, those names quite then yet. And again, in that passage he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Verse 9. There remains there a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that is the literal Greek. I'm sorry to those who believe that the King James Version was inspired by God. It was not. They intentionally mistranslated it. And the New King James followed the same mistake for whatever reason. But if you look at the Greek, it's clear that it's the Sabbath rest. For anyone... Whoever God's rest also rests from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And we have within the Greco-Roman Protestant world, they follow the disobedient. They don't think they have to keep the Sabbath from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. They don't believe they need to do that. They have different reasons, traditions. The Roman Catholics claim they just changed it, so it's okay. Um... Protestants who claim sola scriptura don't believe in sola scriptura because they wouldn't have gone wrong with the, along with the, the Roman Catholics. And there's a theological scholar who is not Church of God, uh, basically early 3rd century by the name of Origen of Alexandria, and he understood what that passage meant. He didn't believe he needed to keep the Sabbath, by the way, but he understood what it meant. Here's what he wrote. But what is the feast of the Sabbath except that which the apostle speaks? So he says the apostle, an apostle wrote Hebrews, and it's believed it was the apostle Paul. A lot of modern scholars say he did not, but uh, through tradition we think it's the apostle Paul. There remains therefore a Sabbatism, that is the observance of the Sabbath by the people of God. Let us see how the Sabbath ought to be observed by a Christian. On the Sabbath day, all worldly laborers ought to be abstained from. Give yourselves up to spiritual exercises. Repairing to church, I mean going to church, doesn't mean going around fixing buildings. Attending to sacred reading and instruction. This is the observance of the Christian Sabbath. Okay, now he didn't believe in keeping the Sabbath, he did do it himself on Saturday, but he knew what it was. It's in there. And now, one of the things that uh, the scholars types will try to get you with is the word rest is used multiple times throughout uh, the New Testament. And so they put the, the King James people, the New King James people, put the word rest there. 
So it says, oh, that rest is the same as this other rest. No, in English they use the same word, but in Greek they didn't use the same word. And any scholar looks it up, knows this is true. And um, I went to the Codex Amientius. And according to uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia, this is the most celebrated manuscript of the Latin Vulgate Bible. It's the best witness to the true text of their St. Jerome. And in Latin, let me see if I badly I will butcher the language. We really didn't speak Latin when we were when I studied it. We just read it because nobody nobody really speaks except the Catholic priest. Let's see, itike reliquer sabbatismus papalu dei. Okay, there's a Sabbath for the people of God. Okay. Uh, I still know enough Latin just reading that. I know that's what it said, even though I'm sorry for those who can pronounce it better than me. That didn't sound clear enough. But it's in there. Adam and Eve uh, sinned. They just honored their only parents. Uh, Adam was called the Son of God in uh, Luke 3.38. And he, didn't, he only, not only uh, dishonored God, he broke the uh, Tenth Commandment. Uh, when they saw the tree was good for food, blessed to be good for them, and all this kind of stuff. At least the six, probably at least six of the commandments were uh, broken when Eve partook of uh, forbidden fruit. As far as the fifth commandment itself goes, it says in Genesis, excuse me, Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Now there's a version of it in Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. It says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that you may be, may be well with you in your land which the Lord your God has given you. And historically, people who do honor their parents uh, live longer than those who don't. A disobedient child tends to be frustrated and plagued with uh, all kinds of guilt and fear. People who love and honor their parents and obey their parents are blessed. Now, Sixth Commandment. Imagine a world that's actually safe. About $2 trillion a year is spent on the world's militaries to go around killing people or to try not to get killed by other people. And we know the first murder was mentioned about Cain killing Abel in Genesis 4.8. Let's go to uh, John 8, verse 44. Because murder began before there were human beings. But it wasn't physical murder. Jesus said to the Pharisees who were not listening to him, John 8, verse 44, You are your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. If he's a murderer from the beginning, he does not stand for the truth, because there's no truth in him. He speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources. He's a liar, the father of it. And Satan's deceit to Adam ultimately resulted in death. Now, the commandment is, you know, in Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Yet most who profess Christianity reasoned around that. It's well documented, by the way, that early Christians would not voluntarily go into the military. Kind of funny, about, I don't know, five or ten years ago, I, was, I watched some... Uh, uh, from a Roman Catholic source, it was a movie about Peter and the Apostles or whatever. I forgot what it was called. And it was absolutely clear that Christians wouldn't murder and do that. 
And they put this, they put this out, but their faith, of course, doesn't believe that. Uh, they, but they did basically hold that view until about the time Emperor Constantine rose up in the fourth century. And Emperor Constantine followed Mithraism, and according to a Roman Catholic scholar, Mithraism was first and foremost a military cult. And uh, Constantine thought this would be a good thing to do, and sadly a lot of people went along with him. But Jesus taught that his people would not fight in this age, and his Sermon on the Mount, he actually warned just being angry without cause, risk, judgment. And because of teachings like that, such as loving your neighbor as yourself, early Christians wouldn't join the military. And uh, John the Baptist told uh, the people who were still in the military, don't shake people down, don't scare them, uh, be content with your wages. Well, you can't be a soldier out fighting <laughs> and keep that. And uh, we got more details on that in this particular uh, uh, book. The Seventh Commandment. Adultery and uh, uh, various forms of sexual immorality are rampant. Uh, pornography is just uh, all over the place. And what gets me is what sometimes they call family movies and family entertainment. Uh, frequently has, generally speaking, females with uh, about as little as they think they can get away with them wearing. And they don't seem to think that's anything. I would, I would tend to call that soft pornography. Uh, hardcore pornography would be... Uh, Things in movies I've never seen. I've never been to an X-rated movie. I've never seen one. Don't need to see one. Uh, but Satan has managed to get lust and uh, his false sexual images all over the place. In the United States of America, the Supreme Court oddly ruled that was uh, freedom of speech expression, which it's not. We've got other types of things going on in terms of immorality. It says in Exodus 20, verse 14, don't commit adultery. The major point of, of marriage is love and not lust. Parent, men are supposed to love their wives as uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, Ephesians 5.25. And it says in Titus 2.4, women are to love their husbands and love their children. But adultery isn't love, it's, uh, it's lust. Uh, in the continuing church of God, we do not believe it's proper for somebody uh, in the church of God to marry someone who is outside the church of God. That doesn't mean you have to, we require that they have to be part of the continuing church of God, but based on what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 15, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And if you're getting married to them, that's the case. Uh, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? For what part is believer with unbeliever? Uh, in Ephesians 5, I'm going to read something Apostle Paul wrote. Verses 31-32. I'm talking about marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The Bible warns against spiritual adultery a lot. Um, James 4.4 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If you want to be a friend of the world and make yourself an enemy of God. They're calling that adultery. And there are warnings in the book of Jude that uh, people uh, are going to promote sexual morality, etc. And we're not going to, I'm not going to read all that stuff there. And we've got a situation in the world now that if you speak out against sexual immorality, 
it's uh, so bad. This, uh, a woman was recently fired from her job from uh, uh, one of the airlines because she made a comment. She thought that gender was a moral issue, and she was fired because that supposedly was a discriminatory statement. So much for freedom of speech, uh, but the, the people don't want to hear this these days. Now, Eighth Commandment. I'd really love to have a world that I'd have to worry about people stealing from us or businesses or anything else. Uh, one time we were at a, a restaurant. We were down, I was got a conference I was putting on. And in a lighted parking lot, they took everything out of our van, uh, broke into it, picked the lock or whatever they did. The Bible, of course, says in Exodus 20, verse 15, uh, don't steal. But I'm going to read Ephesians 4, verse 28. Because you're thinking, okay, I don't steal, so this is fine, I'm keeping that commandment. Okay, good. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Okay, so Paul kind of expanded the stealing thing to, okay, not only are you not supposed to take, you're supposed to produce and give. Right. The Ninth Commandment. Years ago, the minister I had wanted me to uh, do some kind of paper, hunted the congregation to uh, do some kind of paper on what the most important commandment was. And I realized that the first commandment was most important. But in one respect, uh, the thing that would solve the most problems would be the uh, Ninth Commandment in a lot of, a lot of ways. Uh, we're supposed to worship the God of truth, and he's called the God of truth in uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. I'm not going to uh, read, this, read through that. But Satan doesn't like the truth. And in, uh, it says, for example, in Revelation 12, 9, he's dragon, cast out, serpent of old, called devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He doesn't want us to know the truth. He doesn't want the world to know the truth. Let's go over to Ephesians 2, verse 1. So then you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we have conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature's children of wrath, just as others. Satan broadcasts his attitude and people pick it up. Now the commandment itself in Exodus 20 verse 16 says you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in Ephesians 4.25, you don't have to go there, it says, therefore, put it away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one another. If people would speak the truth, if the news media would speak the truth, if academia would speak the truth, and should I dare say it, if politicians would always speak the truth, the world would be a much better place. Imagine the criminal justice system. There were two people in the front called James. So, okay, James, did you uh, steal this? If you did, you'd say yes. That solves it, okay? Don't need months, years, lawyers, etc. A lot of problems would be solved very quickly. And because James would know that someone might ask him a question, 
James might be a lot more careful about whether he stole something or did something because he gets asked, he's got to say he did it. Case closed, really easy. Anyway, uh, keep your promises. Jesus said to do that, by the way, Matthew 5, verse 33. You heard it said, it was told of those of old, you should not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, either by heaven or for it's God's throne, or by the earth for its footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor should you swear by your head, because you can't make one head white or black. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Whatever is more than that is the evil one. Keep your word. You don't have to jump it down, up and down. Uh, my wife uh, and I learned this a long time ago. Sometimes the more people assure you they will do something, they're less likely to do it. Okay, it's not that it's wrong to sometimes give more assurance, but sometimes I've seen people who really be adamant about it. They'll, go, they'll do it the wrong way. And I just want to make a comment about pride. The Bible warns a lot about pride and haughtiness and hypocrisy. And these are basically all forms of being a false witness against oneself and for others. And Lucifer had pride. Neve had pride. And it's a lie to trust yourself above God. Vanity is a lie. But the pride of life affects us all to one degree or another. It passes up. It says in the Old King James, Psalm 39, verse 5, every man is his best state is altogether vanity. Vanity is the quality of being worthless or futile. It's based on a lie. We need to trust God. Tenth commandment. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. But most modern people disagree. I remember taking economics classes and they told us about something called conspicuous consumption, where people will intentionally want to have a fancier car or clothes or whatever, and it's fine to dress appropriately, okay. But people want to do this to show off, I guess. But Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, starting verse 6, Now godliness with contentment, contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world that certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men's destruction and perdition. And it's one of the reasons people also have to be careful about things like gambling. While gaming can have some entertainment value, most people who are gambling are coveting, and we don't want to do that. Now, many try to appear to the world to be good Christians, but they practice lawlessness. I want to go to Second uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, we've seen this throughout the church age. But want to read something from the Apostle Paul, a warning. 2 Thessalonians 2, starting verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. From the time of Simon Magus, only he who now restrains will do so till he's taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. 
They all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is a prophecy. Paul said it was starting in his day and it was going to get worse later. Now this is coming from uh, the lawless one, which is the beast of the sea of Revelation 13. They're condemned because they didn't believe the truth that had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now it says in Psalm 119, verse 172, all of God's commandments are righteousness. And he believes that the mystery of lawlessness has already started. And now it's a mystery to the Greco-Roman Protestants for different reasons. One of the reasons is, we've got, talk about Protestants, roughly two families of Protestants. Those who believe you're supposed to keep the Ten Commandments and those who don't. Those who don't, uh, they, they don't make any pretense of it and they don't understand that they're supposed to keep them. Those who do, however, reason around them. Uh, they don't keep the Fourth Commandment. They also say it doesn't matter what day they keep. And most of them who do keep some version of Sunday don't really keep it as a, as a Sabbath. Most of them think it's okay to, uh, uh, to, to kill, for, be part of the military. Uh, they have ways around many of the commandments, uh, particularly adultery and uh, with divorce and all that kind of stuff. And the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox basically have ways around each of the Ten Commandments as well. Uh, I'm not going to go through all that in detail. But it's a mystery of lawlessness because they try to say they're Christian and that they keep the commandments. But if it comes down to it, like the Pharisees of old, who were convinced they kept the Ten Commandments, Jesus condemned them for violating each of them, and I can talk about that in this particular book as well. Now, in Proverbs 29:18, it says, Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is the people he keeps who keeps the law. It's not a burden we want to keep them. It says in Psalm 111, verse 10, that keeping God's commandments bring understanding. And the true church of God proclaims God's law is not done away, but it's been exalted, made honorable, as it says in Isaiah 42, verse 21, and expanded by Jesus, you can read in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Yet most who profess Christ basically want to believe the lie that the Ten Commandments are done away, or they don't really mean what it says, or it's okay if you break him. You go to a priest say, look, I, recall, I break the commandments. What prayers do I have to mutter for a few minutes? And that's all fine. And I can go back to it. And also there's some false uh, translations of certain parts of Scripture. People who do not love the truth are happy to accept the lies. Now Psalm 119, 105, you don't have to go there. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I mentioned Psalm 119, verse 172, which says, My tongue shall speak of your word for all your commandments are righteousness. We believe that God's Ten Commandments are one of God's greatest gifts to humankind. And it says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5 that the purpose of the commandment is love. And what a society we would have if nobody would steal from you, lie to you. And if these people were also resting, keeping the uh, Sabbath... You know, one of, the, one of the benefits of these lockdowns that they had is they claimed that uh, the world uh, had a little less pollution. Well, if people were not working one day in seven, uh, the planet would also have a better chance to recover. Of course, I think we'd also 
have changed some of our practices. We produce less pollution, that's a whole other matter. Now, one of the major differences between true Christians and others in the end times, the true Christians are going to be keeping the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus warns in Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to read verses 12 to 13, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures the end shall be saved. Lawlessness will abound and there will be less love, less reverence for God's commandments, yet the faithful are going to endure to the end. Perseverance produces character, and character hope, according to Romans 5.4. Christians are going to need hope during the time of the reign of the beast. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to read just one verse, verse 17. Revelation 12, verse 17 says, And the dragon that Satan was enraged with the woman, the church, he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Some Protestants say this has only got to do with Jews who are converted after a so-called pre-trib rapture. They ignore what this actually says. In, uh, you don't have to go there, but Daniel 7, verse 25 talks about the beast rising up. He speaks pompous words against the Most High. He's going to persecute the saints of the Most High. It's intended to change times and law. The saints will be given to his hand for a time, time, and half a times. We're talking about the same period of time here. Now, I want to go to Revelation 14, starting verse 9. third angel followed them with a loud voice saying, If anyone worships the beast and his image, which sees a mark his forehead or his hand, he himself shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength to the cup of his indignation. He'll be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. Smoke their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Those who worship the beast or his image receive the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have faith of Jesus. Here we see that again. Then I heard a voice in heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. End time Christians will be keeping the Ten Commandments and that will be how they differ from those who are going to follow the beast. The beast power is going to promote sin and breaking the Ten Commandments. In Daniel 11, it says, starting verse 36, that the king, this beast, is going to do according to his own will, exalt himself above every god. So it violates the first commandment. Speak blasphemies against the god of gods. There's the second commandment, third commandment, I mean. Prosper till the wrath shall be accomplished. What will be determined shall be done. He's not going to regard the god of his fathers or the desire of women or any god. He'll exalt himself above them all. He's called the king of the north and the beast of the sea in different parts of the Bible. He's the first beast in Revelation 13. Now the Antichrist is the second beast. He's the beast of the earth. And what's he going to do? You don't have to go there, but Revelation 13, 12 says he exercises the authority of the first beast, causes those who on the earth who dwell to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This guy's going to honor the god of fortresses. He's going to force people to violate the second commandment, we see this in the Antichrist, Revelation 13, verse 14. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. People are going to walk by sight and not by faith. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived, granted power to give 
Breath in the image of the beast, the image of the beast, they both speak and cause many would not worship him to be killed. So they are going to enforce breaking the Ten Commandments. That's what the beast is going to do. Uh, I mentioned the third commandment, uh, but blasphemy says he's going to speak pompous words against the Most High. And uh, Revelation, excuse me, Daniel 11, verse 36, he'll speak blasphemies against the God of Gods. In terms of the fourth commandment, I mentioned he's going to change times of law, times and law, and he's also going to uh, not allow people to buy and sell, according to Revelation 13, 16 through 17, unless they get their mark. Uh, and have the mark and number of the beast. And it says they have uh, no rest day or night who worship the beast, which means they're not keeping the fourth commandment either. The fifth commandment, it says that uh, uh, in Daniel 11, verse 37, this is how the beast is going to violate. He's not going to regard neither the God of his fathers because he's going to exalt himself about everything. So he's not going to honor his parents in that respect. And let's see what else here. Oh, in Revelation 17, I'll read this. Starting verse 16. The beast is going to actually betray his uh, spiritual mother, uh, the harlot, and not be repentant. It says in Revelation 17, verses 16 through 18, the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the beast, the harlot, excuse me. The ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot. Make her desolate, naked, and eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God's put it in their hearts to fulfill His purpose of one mind, to give the kingdom of the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is a great city which rules over the kings of the earth. Now, it's one thing, this was not emphasized very well in the old uh, worldwide church of God that the beast's powers are going to turn against the, the church of Rome. So this guy's going to dishonor that as well. As far as the Sixth Commandment goes, I mentioned that uh, they're going to have people be killed if they won't uh, worship the beast. But also, in Revelation 13, verse 4, talking about this beast, it's recorded that people worship the beast. They worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, Who's like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? Because he's going to be a warring power. He will be violating the Sixth Commandment. He's going to cause other people to be killed. And also, I've read in, uh, that from Revelation 13, but also in Daniel 11, 32 to 33, uh, uh, it talks about people who, know their God, who understand will instruct many, yet for days they will fall by the sword and flame by captivity and plundering. The beast is going to get Christians killed. As far as the seventh commandment, uh, the beast is going to be among those who commit fornication with mystery Babylon the Great. I'm going to read about that in Revelation 17 here. Starting verse 1. Come, and I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot sits on many waters, with whom the kings of this earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of this earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So the beast power is going to be one of the kings involved with this for a time. John's carried away by the spirit of the wilderness, saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the beast is going to align with this person for a while, this power for a while, even though the beast is going to turn against this power. Woman's arrayed in purple and scarlet, gold, precious stones, but having in her hand the golden cup of abominations, 
filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the beast in that sense, and the abominations of the earth. Uh, the beast is also going to participate and promote spiritual adultery. As far as the Eighth Commandment goes, uh, let's go to uh, uh, Daniel 11, verse 39. Daniel 11, verse 39 says, The king of the north, the beast power, he's going to act against the strongest fortresses, that would be the United States, and to a lesser degree its British-descended allies, with a foreign god which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. He will cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. What do you mean divide the land for gain? He's going to come into this country and take it. And he's going to give different parts to different places. I believe Mexico will end up with much of the southwest. I don't know what, precisely how that will be split up. I suspect parts of Alaska and maybe Canada may end up over to Russia. He's going to steal the country and give it the way he wants to give it. And furthermore, continuing, the time of the end, verse 40, the king of the south is going to attack him, the king of the north is going to come against him with a whirlwind, chariots, horsemen, ships, many ships. He's going to enter the countries to overwhelm them. He's going to have power, verse 43, over the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. So he's going to take that too. He's going to go and plunder and whatever. He's going to steal. He's going to take precious things. As far as the ninth commandment goes, the beast is going to cause deceit to prosper. It says in Daniel, let me go to Daniel 8, verse 25. Let's read that together and let you look at it when I'm reading it. Through his cunning, Daniel 8, 25, he will cause deceit to prosper. Yes, the deceitful will prosper. Some of us won't care for that. None of us Christians are going to care for that, but it's going to prosper under his rule. He's going to get in by deceit. If we go down to Daniel 11, verse 23, he's going to make all kinds of promises, but after a league is made with him, he will act deceitfully. Okay? He's going to promise peace and safety, whatever. He shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. People won't think this guy's going to be the one who's going to make it. It won't take him too much, but he'll get up there. So he's going to violate the ninth commandment. And people who don't have the love of the truth are going to believe the lie or at least accept it because they don't want to get killed. And they're going to see these miracles done by uh, the Antichrist. They think, well, this is real, so we've got to believe this. If they're willing to believe the truth, look into the truth, they would know. But they won't. They'll decide, no, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Too risky to my life. As Christians, we have to be willing to give up our life, but we have to. As far as uh, the uh, Tenth Commandment goes, uh, Daniel 8.25 says he's going to even rise up against the Prince of Princes. He's going to be broken without human means. Now, Daniel 11, verse 24, says he's going to enter peaceably, even the richest places of the province. says, he will do what his fathers have not done, his forefathers. He shall disperse them among the plunder, spoil, and riches, and devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. What this Daniel 11.24 is saying is, he's going to eventually go and be able to eliminate the U.S. and Britain, who successfully stopped uh, the Axis powers uh, 
in World War II and some version of that in World War I as well. But notice he's going to plot to take everything. He's going to covet. He says, you know what? There's a lot of minerals and oil in the United States. There's all kinds of other stuff we could get there. And there's some land and they've got, you know, they grow food. and So he's going to covet and get what, get what he wants. Now I want to go to uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And yes, I do have a tendency to quote this a lot. But this is something the Apostle Paul was inspired to write about the uh, end times. He says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Didn't I read that about the beast? Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. The Bible says the beast is going to do that. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. They're killing Christians. It's going to be brutal too. Despisers of good. Traitors. Headstrong. Haughty. Lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying His power. They're going to say they're on God, God's on their side. And as I've speculated before, it wouldn't surprise me if some apparitions claiming to be Mary show up and people will actually be able to see them in public. But denying, a form of godliness, but denying his power, from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to knowledge of the truth. And that's not just the beast. If you read stuff from a lot of academics these days, and what the media tells you, and various advocacy groups, you know, this includes a lot of politicians. You know, the beast is going to be a lover of himself as opposed to a lover of his neighbor. The beast is going to be a lover of money who's going to steal the treasures of gold and silver and precious things of Egypt. As far as being a boaster, the uh, beast is going to boast of his arrogance. He's going to be proud. That'll be uh, one of his trademarks. I mentioned blasphemy. As far as unholy, he's going to exalt those who forsake the holy covenant. In Daniel 11, verse 30, I didn't read that scripture, but that's something he's going to do. And in, uh, in this particular book, uh, so I'm not going to read all of the list here, Go through each of the words that Paul warned about for the last time, and it applies to the beast. Again, it's not that some of these things don't apply now, but the beast is not going to want you to keep the Ten Commandments. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 18. We're all accountable for our own actions. And as it says in uh, Ezekiel 18, Starting verse 18. I'm going to read this from the Roman Catholic translation of the Dewey Rames Bible. It says, As for his father, because he oppressed and offered violence to his brother and brought evil in the midst of his people, behold, he's dead in his own iniquity. And you say, Have we not, has not the son born iniquity to the father? Verily, because the son has wrought judgment and justice, has kept all his commandments and done them, living he shall live. All right, I realize that's an odd translation. But 
but to, for the Protestant translation, generally gets what's one right as well. Just because your parents may have done things wrong doesn't mean that you can't keep God's commandments and live. In the last book of the Bible, last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, it says, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they might have the rights of the tree of life, and enter through the gates of the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. So he mentioned four or five of the commandments at the end. If you violate those, you're not going to be there. But there are people who say this doesn't talk about the Ten Commandments. It doesn't include those. I want to read from Isaiah, Isaiah 66. Now some have pointed out that the Sabbath commandment and the first commandment and some others are missing from what I just read in Revelation 22. But as far as the Sabbath goes and worshiping God, Isaiah 66, verses 22 to 23 says, For as the new heavens and new earth which I will make remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. It shall come to pass from one, one new moon to the other, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh will worship before me. So we see the Sabbath is going to be kept. Now, other than Jesus, the Bible in Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in 1 John 1.10, the Bible also teaches that Christians sin. It says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. So, since we've all sinned, is there no hope? Well, certainly there's hope. 1 John 1, starting verse 6, If we say we have uh, fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But we walk in light as He is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. For if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us for all unrighteousness. So don't think if you fail, you stumble, you still can't make it. Paul wrote in Romans 7, uh, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we're not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. Ephesians 2. Why don't you go there, starting in verse 8. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we were His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the Ten Commandments are part of the way God expects His true people to walk. Jesus taught that uh, breaking the Ten Commandments is evil. Jesus warned that there would be people who said that they worshipped Him, they cast out demons in His name, etc. But they practiced lawlessness. And despite the fact that we will stumble, and we still stumble, we need to continue. We need to endure. In the time of the end, we're going to see more and more lawlessness. We're seeing it being promoted by governments, by the media, by academia. And it's going to be pushed even further. And we will be persecuted for keeping the Ten Commandments. But we are to endure to the end, as Jesus said, and keep them. 
And if we do, we will be entitled to the tree of life and those who are able to partake of the tree of life will have eternal life and not be condemned like those who will follow the beast and those who will not keep God's commandments. So we've gone over those commandments today and I've told you the Bible warns that the beast is going to violate them all but that God's people, according to the book of Revelation, multiple places, will still be keeping the Ten Commandments, which all of us hopefully are doing to this day. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.